0: What can Marvel's Daredevil series teach us about the faith? Similar to my commentary on A1 and R1, if you're not familiar with Marvel's Defenders, that's totally okay. You won't need to know details to be able to follow the social commentary, as I promise that I will fill you in on any pertinent ba- basics. Um, With that said, this episode is full of spoilers, so if you're working through Marvel's Defenders with your husband after the kids are in bed every night, please do not listen to this episode and then get mad at me. You have been forewarned. Marvel's Defenders consists primarily of four characters, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Danny Rand, aka the Iron Fist, and Matt Murdock, aka Daredevil. And I say primarily because there are some secondary characters who are also considered defenders but aren't pertinent to this commentary. And I just want to be clear for the sake of any hardcore fans listening that I mean no disrespect whatsoever by omitting them. Now each of these characters has special powers. Jessica Jones has super strength and decent fighting skills. Luke Cage has super strength and his skin is bulletproof. Danny Rand is a trained martial artist and is able to summon power into his right hand to make it indestructible and also make it light up and Matt Murdock was blinded by a hazardous chemical spill but his other senses were heavily enhanced in that accident as well and he is also trained in martial arts following the accident. Now in in one season Marvel's Defenders brings these four primary characters together to fight side by side but each of these four characters also have their own respective shows. Two seasons of Luke Cage, three seasons of Jessica Jones, two seasons of The Iron Fist, and three seasons of Daredevil. Now, my mom has never watched any of these, or if she has, it's only been in passing when we, her kids, or our dad, have been watching these shows. And it's actually kind of funny, because not only was I watching season two of Daredevil with my spiritual director, but a number of my mother's closest mom friends also love the series. That's not a dig at my mom, mind you. Daredevil is very violent. Um, And now as a mom myself, I pretty much skip all the fight scenes and focus on the dialogue. But anyway, of the five of us siblings, my second brother and I have the most intense love for Daredevil. And so my mom, knowing this about the two of us, tagged us in a post on social media sometime last week. This post was from someone who apparently claims to like Daredevil in general but was posting about it specifically in order to issue a warning to non-Christians and non-Catholics and just the secular audience in general. And I'm going to read a part of that post for you now. Quote, I love a lot of things about this show, I really do, but like, I wouldn't allow my kids or younger siblings to watch. Why is that? Because this show promotes Christianity and shows that Catholicism is the right path. That is very wrong, a superhero series being used to promote religion and to spread religious propaganda. Now, many of you may not like it, but it's true, Daredevil series promotes Christianity. If you want to keep your children away from religious BS, never allow them to watch this series unless they are mature enough to not get too influenced by it." When I read this post the first time, it made me laugh. but. Then it got me thinking, what is it about the Daredevil series or about the Daredevil character, Matt Murdock's character, which a non-Catholic or even anti-Catholic, anti-Christian viewer would find so threatening? The reason that I ask this is because there are similar themes uh, running through the separate series following each of the Defenders. All four of the Defenders appear to share similar moral values with regards to protecting innocent lives and avoiding killing. They all struggle with choosing to use their powers for good rather than bad, which in and of itself suggests that they believe in objective definitions of good and bad, right? The importance of forgiveness is a common theme. The importance of connection and, specifically, of good and healthy familial connections. This is also a common theme. The idea that having specific abilities makes one responsible for choosing to use those abilities for the common good. Are these not all Christian values, even if they're not labeled as such? And is it really religion? that this individual has a problem with. Because Luke Cage says that he believes in God. We see Luke Cage participating in a prayer circle and reading scripture. And Danny Rand, AKA the Iron Fist, practices Buddhism. The Iron Fist series is laden with explanations of and exhortations to practice centering and mindfulness and meditation to find inner peace and calm one's spirit. Heck, Danny Rand even keeps to a vow of chastity for 15 years. Where's the rant that Iron Fist is religious propaganda? In spite of the seeming similarities between the four defenders with regards to their moral values and moral struggles, what makes the manner in which the other three defenders live palatable to the secularist? And what is it about the way that Matt Murdock lives, in stark comparison to his fellow defenders, that a secularist would find so threatening? Let's consider this question in the context of our own vocation as wives, which, of course, is the whole purpose of this commentary being on this podcast. Jessica Jones, in spite of all the apparent good that she does helping other people, and again, with the disclaimer that I have just barely started season two, uh, Jessica spends her downtime drowning herself in sin, in emptiness, specifically in alcohol and in the hookup culture. And she knows it's empty. The word she uses in a conversation she has with her best friend, Trish, about how she spends her downtime is, quote, meaningless. So she, she knows it's empty. She knows it's problematic. She knows that it prevents her from being the best person that she can be. But she persists in sin. So obviously that's not an option for a Catholic. What about Luke Cage? Well, Luke Cage eventually comes to embrace the conclusion that ends justify means and becomes a crime boss, supposedly to be better able to fight crime. Now, intellectually, as Catholics, we know, or we ought to know, that this is also not an option. But how many of us wives actually live this way? A very common example is when a wife justifies the use of disrespect, of disrespectful words and actions, when used to procure an apparently good outcome with regards to her husband's behavior. If she can get him to stop smoking, stop playing video games, stop watching porn, it's a-okay to be as manipulative and aggressive and intimidating as she deems necessary to procure that good outcome. And then there's Danny Rand. And he comes to a conclusion which seems pretty noble on the surface. He decides that he's unworthy of the power that he holds and essentially passes it off to his supposedly much more incorruptible girlfriend while well, he then takes time to figure out who he is and how to be worthy of his girlfriend and all the other people who care about him. But there are two problems with this, and we have to give some more details about the show to discuss them. First of all, the role of Iron Fist is what a Catholic would call a vocation. Danny Rand spends time discerning and pursuing and earning this role. It's a role which comes with specific responsibilities, specific expectations, And he supposedly weighed those responsibilities and expectations in his pursuit of this great honor. With that said then, there is nothing noble about walking away from and or going back on one's vocation even for the supposed purpose of figuring one's self out. And how familiar are the excuses which Danny gives for doing so? He says that it's because maybe they didn't tell him everything about what it really means to be the Iron Fist, and how he can't really fulfill the role if he doesn't really understand what it entails. And also that his stint as the Iron Fist has showed him how unready he actually is and how ill-disposed he is to carry out this role well, how undisciplined he still is, and how much self-control he lacks. Well, don't these sound just like the sort of excuses someone would give for getting a divorce? or even just for giving up while staying married. How many of us wives give these sorts of excuses for failing in our vocation? That we weren't ready, that we weren't well prepared, that we didn't really understand what we were getting ourselves into, that we didn't really consider everything that marriage entails because other people failed to tell us how hard it would really be. Second problematic thing is the idea that self-worth is assigned. And that goes both ways. It's problematic to think that because you don't feel worthy, that you aren't worthy. But it's equally problematic to assign yourself a task list, which will supposedly earn you the right to assign yourself your worth. Our worth, our dignity comes from God. No one can take that away, but also there's nothing we can do to truly earn and deserve that gift from him. All of that then to bring us to Matt Murdock and Marvel's Daredevil series. Before I launch into this, I want to take a minute to say if you're not into Daredevil already, unlike my episode on A1 and Ar1, which had a similar social commentary and in which I stated that every Catholic should read The Lord of the Rings, this episode of my podcast um, is not necessarily a recommendation or encouragement to watch Daredevil. I said earlier that I was watching season two with my spiritual director when it came out, And what actually happened after that was that my spiritual director discerned that the show was too violent to continue watching. So this show is not for everyone. Um, And there are absolutely much better shows out there that could give you the same spiritual food for thought for considerably less psychological trauma. Um, Daredevil is very dark. It's very dark. And yet I persisted in watching it back when it came out because I recognized that darkness in myself. Sorry, that's very vague, I just... Please, if you have a strong preference for shows like Downton Abbey or movies and TV renditions of books by Austin and the Bronte sisters, all of which I absolutely love, by the way, if you've never watched anything like Daredevil before, nothing superhero-y, nothing action-y, please do not suppose that I'm suggesting that you start, much less start with Daredevil. Okay, so that caveat (laughs) out of the way. G. K. Chesterton writes in an essay entitled In Defense of Sanity quote, A Catholic is a person who has plucked up the courage to face the incredible and inconceivable idea that something else may be wiser than he is. End quote. Amazingly, and sure, imperfectly, but still amazingly, Marvel's Daredevil portrays Matt Murdock's attempt to allow his Catholic faith to pervade every aspect of his life with a lot of respect for our faith. It's mind-boggling, actually, considering that this was not a Catholic production, and yet it rivals many Catholic and Christian productions in both production quality and in spiritual content. The opening scene to the very first episode of the very first season of Daredevil is Matt Murdock in the confessional, And throughout all three seasons of Daredevil, sure, we never see Matt in Mass or receiving the Eucharist, but my gosh, he's going to confession and also receiving, to all points and purposes, spiritual direction from both a priest and down the road, another consecrated religious, a religious sister. He doesn't always like what they have to say. He doesn't always agree with what's said. He argues, he talks back, he gets angry, but he allows their words to bother him If they are found bothersome, he doesn't just write them off because he doesn't agree. And the fact that he goes to confession, and again, what could loosely be considered spiritual direction, demonstrates precisely what Chesterton describes. In a word, it's humility. Matt acknowledges his need for counsel, for assistance. He's always talking to the priest and to the sister about his weaknesses, his fears, and his uncertainty. That's humility. And accountability. Matt knows that every move he makes, and also every move that he doesn't make, has weight. And that's why he seeks counsel, because he doesn't trust himself to weigh things, as he knows, through the eyes of an imperfect faith, that they ought to be weighed. Another thing is his acknowledgement of authority. Aside from the respect Matt obviously has for his confessor, we also see Matt struggling to accept that God has allowed imperfect men to have authority over us in various areas of life. In Matt's case, specifically with regards to Civil authorities and civil law and unlike the other three defenders who are always getting down on legitimate authorities for needing their assistance to get things done, making sarcastic and nasty quips about doing their jobs for them because they're so incompetent or oblivious or whatever, Matt's dynamic with civil authorities is markedly different. He still gets upset when they fail to deliver. But for the most part, he tries very much to respect them, to respect the scope of what they can and cannot do. And I guess it should be mentioned here that Matt Murdock's by daylight persona is a lawyer. Matt endeavors to work within the legal realm first, and through his work discerns the actual need for his vigilante intervention, and he ultimately does not resent civil authorities in general for what they may not be able to accomplish or for then benefiting from his assistance. He allows and even encourages, begs certain authority figures to take credit for what he's discovered or accomplished under the radar, precisely to keep himself out of the limelight. Just a side note here, this, this happens in real life. I'm thinking um, specifically of Tim Ballard. He's the founder of Operation Underground Railroad, an organization dedicated to saving and freeing children from human trafficking. And Mr. Ballard, in an interview that he did, I watched him explain how he worked for the U.S. government for many years. And at some point, he was being assigned to international cases. Well, he was put into a situation where... To save a group of kids, he would have to go above and beyond what the law allowed him to do in his role. And those laws are not necessarily bad. Um, In essence, what he said was he could only um, see a case through if that case could be prosecuted on U.S. soil. So we're talking about kids who are not under the protection of the U.S. government And he's a U.S. operative on foreign soil, and so there are limitations for not only his safety, but for the safety of our entire country. But what he ended up doing was that he quit his job with the U.S. government in order to be able to save those kids. So like Matt Murdock, he went as far as the law could take him, as far as the law could enable him to go. He wasn't being contemptuous and just doing his own thing from the get-go. He did what he could... Under the circumstances. And when the circumstances demanded that he remove himself from the protection of the law in order to save the lives of others, he did so. I mean, that's that's a real-life Matt Murdock situation right there. Anyway, thanks for humoring that tangent. Um, and finally, Matt's constancy of self-awareness. His constancy in the struggle. My pastor, prior to my getting married and moving parishes, used to say something That really stuck with me. He would say it often and pointedly. He said, quote, perfection is in the struggle. End quote. The thing about the struggle, the thing about spiritual warfare, is that when you attempt to take a break from it, you end up struggling more. Because the yucky stuff piles up while you're fooling yourself that you're able to take a break. There is no break from spiritual warfare. There is no break. Every moment of our lives is part of a war being waged for souls. No one likes hearing this. There's an especially poignant episode where Matt Murdock is dealing with Frank Castle, aka the Punisher, um, who was raised Catholic but has ultimately taken it upon himself to be God's judge, jury, and executioner. Matt is is challenging Frank, trying to remind him about how every person deserves the chance to respond to God's grace and to repent, and that's why electing oneself to be God's executioner doesn't work. Well, shortly thereafter, Matt is trying to prevent Frank from killing a man who Matt believes to be an innocent, but Frank reveals to Matt that this man that Matt is trying to protect actually killed an old woman in cold blood just because that woman was in the wrong place at the wrong time and witnessed him committing some other crime. Frank then demands that Matt reiterate his claim that this man deserves a second chance, and you can just see that struggle for the souls of all three men. Matt's struggle is not only for his own soul. Understandably, tempted as he is to change his tune and condemn this man now that he's aware that this man is actually a cold-blooded murderer. There's a struggle for the murderer's soul. He's unrepentant in this scene, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he would never repent given the opportunity to do so, given the opportunity that Matt's better self wants to give him. And then there's the struggle for Frank's soul. Because even though Frank seems pretty set in his ways, there is something about the fact that Frank is giving Matt the opportunity to speak, demanding that Matt convince him to free this murder. Frank, whether he realizes it or not, is begging for Matt's witness to the faith. He needs Matt's witness. His soul is in need of Matt's witness of hope for repentance. Now, most of us are not dealing with people like Frank Castle, but what we can take away from this is two things. Number one, that it's never just about you. Sure, you're fighting to get your own soul to heaven, but you're fighting for everyone in the body of Christ. And when you attempt to lay down your arms in some delusion of being able to step away from the fight, everyone suffers, not just you. And the second lesson that we can learn is (laughs) this whole thing about Frank Castle taking it upon himself to be God's judge, jury, and executioner we might not be holding a gun, but many of us wives do this to our husbands. We take it upon ourselves to judge and to punish our husbands for their imperfections. So these characteristics humility, accountability, respect for authority, and constancy in the struggle are what I believe a secularist, an anti-Christian, anti-Catholic, would find so threatening about the Daredevil series. And if you like the Daredevil series, these are the things that I would recommend taking away from the series and to seek to emulate in your own life. If you want a good marriage, then you would be wise to sit at the feet of women who have good marriages. Frequent confession, and if you can, find a solid spiritual director. Consider what it means for you to live as if you truly accepted the authority over you which God has granted to certain individuals, especially your husband. And finally, don't fool yourself into thinking that you can just walk away. You'll waste a lot of time and energy entertaining that fantasy if you give it even the tiniest bit of oxygen. And while you're wasting that time and energy you will not be the only one suffering for it. Within the body of Christ, we all depend on each other to remain faithful. And only if we are faithful in little things can we hope to be faithful in greater ones. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast.